the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. We can help your company and your employees look forward to tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Good day and welcome to the Irish Times business podcast. I'm Arthur Beasley. Cleary's is gone, an unexpected liquidation has led to the loss of hundreds of jobs. But what's it like for other retailers in Dublin? Are they getting the benefit of the uplift in economic activity? I'm joined today to discuss this issue by Richard Guiney, Chief Executive of Dublin Town, the group formerly known as Dublin Business Improvement District, and also by Damien O'Reilly of the DIT School of Retail Services and Management. A little later, we'll be discussing the ongoing Greek saga, which seems to be coming to a head. But first, let's talk about the shopping scene in Dublin. Richard, what's the response on the streets of the capital to the Cleary's closure? Well, I, I think there's a there's an element of uh, disappointment. Um, I think people did know that Cleary's had been bought by uh, venture capitalists three years ago. Uh, I think it was common knowledge that it wasn't making money and um, that therefore it would probably come onto the market and it was up for sale. So I think people knew that you know something was probably going to happen on that. Um, in just in general terms, I think uh, Cleary's, I think it's fair to say, didn't really know who its customer base was. Um, it was appealing to uh, an ageing demographic um, and it, it, it wasn't really, uh, I mean there was, there was the revamp of the store which was very, very, very good but I think, it was, um, I think it was trying to identify who it was actually appealing to and um, it don't, I don't think it got that quite right. And these are problems which have been uh, in, in the business even at a time uh, when the Irish economy was in its growth phase, when, when the rest of Ireland was booming. Uh, I recall writing stories about Cleary's in which the company wasn't able to make money. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's, it, it, it did underperform. Um, and I think, it, you know, that that was well documented. But, um, I mean, it's, it's obviously very tragic, uh, I think, for, for certainly for the employees and how they were treated. But uh, I think just in general terms, uh, we'd like to see something move Moving into uh, O'Connell Street and into that gap, uh, we don't want to see a big empty space in O'Connell Street for too long. Yes, it re- I mean it, re- it really is a, a, a moment in, in, in the history of Dublin, that huge, very impressive building right across the street from the GPO, the 100th anniversary of 1916 looming, and now we have this uh, very sudden and unexpected closure and one which has proved to be quite controversial. Damien O'Reilly of DIT, are the problems of Cleary's unique in the Irish retail scene? No, we can see um, certainly over the last uh, five or six years that uh, the, the number, if I could just give you a, a quick uh, example there, is the number of people working in the retail sector has declined by about 80,000 over the period in, in Ireland. Now that's a huge amount. I know we're talking about, uh, about 400 jobs here, but <clears throat> in general over the last five to six years, the number of people employed in the retail sector, which is still the biggest sector, uh, for employment in the country has dropped by 80,000. Now, if, that's if we really back, quite a striking um, figure. I mean, that, that's, they're, is, they're yeah. huge numbers. Yeah, it, it's a huge number. And, you know, a lot of those are smaller shops closing down week after week um, with maybe the loss of 15, 20, 30 employees. Uh, but what we can see, if you went back over the last number of years, you'd probably remember is that, uh, you know, the likes of Supercrane has gone, for example which was another iconic brand. I know those employees were kept on, so we don't have the, uh, um, the, 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 uh, you know, the, the, the tragedy that happened to the employees in Cleary's and, and the way they heard it last Friday, um, which was, you know, it just 
well, we, we chose not, obviously not the way to do it, as well, we've, we've re- heard re- in the news. And well, it, really quite shocking. I mean, I, indeed. someone I know was, was shopping there only on, on Friday afternoon, and there was no sense at all on the shop floor amongst uh, staff, very good staff dealing with customers, that yeah. uh, anything at all was imminent. Well, indeed, and they would have heard at one o'clock that Gordon Brothers had sold out to uh, D2 Private, and they would have assumed there was just a change of ownership and everything was going to go ahead as normal. But obviously, as we know now, that this had been planned in advance and that the company was then put into liquidation and the shop was closed. But going back to your broader question, I mean, you see B&Q have had um, examinerships, Pamela Scott have had examinerships. There's been numerous examinerships and receiverships over the last number of years, Pizza Parnell, have gone as well. You know, a lot of these uh, bigger brands that we've known over the years, and it's part of that kind of uh, retail cycle, is that, you know what, shops will come and shops will go. The What's happened with the Cleary's one is that, um, <clears throat> is that it, it's very important because it's such an iconic building and it's in O'Connell Street. And O'Connell Street, to me, should be the main shopping area. Uh, it was the main shopping area in Dublin. And I think, you know, it really should try and regain that position again. We'll go back to O'Connell Street in, in a second, but uh, you, you, you mentioned the fact that l- large numbers of Irish retailers have gone through a, an examinership process. Um, is that, that process is supposed to give a business with a chance of survival uh, that very chance as an alternative to outright closure. Richard Guiney, does examinership work, and has it been proved to work in, in the Irish situation? Well, I think examinership does work, and it can work. Um, and, uh, you know, we've seen people, we've seen companies uh, restructuring, getting into examinership, coming out of it, um, and, and that has been, you know, quite successful. I think in terms of the, the broader picture, you know, I think that the nature of retail is going to change, and we're already seeing that um, the Internet is, is is accounting for a larger and larger proportion of uh, sales, and there uh, UK experts estimating that we'll have 35% of non-food retail conducted online by the end of the decade. That's quite dramatic. Um, so we, we're looking at this saying even if we have very good growth in terms of overall uh, retail sales, if the internet's going to gobble up uh, a large proportion, we're looking at about 135 to 15% of present, so that's an, another 20% to come on top of that, that it is actually going to be, you know, a challenge for a lot of uh, for for a lot of retailers, and I think they're going to have to start becoming multi- much more multi-channel. And the thing that's really driving a lot of this as well is that uh, a lot of commerce is moving on to mobile devices. So it is very easy sitting on a bus to buy things, and uh, you've got Wi-Fi, you've got your phone. It's prompting you to buy stuff that based on what you've bought before, etc. So what we're finding is that the the streets that are performing best are the streets that have a very good balance of retail and hospitality. Um, and we've done some research with people who are working in the, the Dublin area and seeing if they would shop after office hours. Um, and this is the time when people are most inclined to buy online, between 6 and 8, eight o'clock in the evening. And what we found was 65% of people working in Dublin 1 and 2 with Truman Millward Brown survey said they would, of which 80% of that number said they would also like to go to a cafe or restaurant or whatever. So it's shopping has been seen very much as a leisure activity. It's not, I've got a hole in my sho- shoes, I need a new pair of shoes. It's been seen as a, a, a leisure activity. And I think that we're going to see a far greater integration of what would have been traditionally considered an evening economy with retail and you know in North America and in London they're seeing this trend kicking through and I think we're going to see a lot more of that coming through in Dublin as well. Timmy O'Reilly is that your experience? Yeah I would think that the the, the estimate there um, is probably a little bit um, uh, over the top in my estimation that, that we would have up to 35 percent. I think it will um, 
come to around 25% max that we will hit online. Now, I think... Um, That's still a large figure, though. It is, but I think how you define online um, is... It's, it's, it's notional. Um, as Richard was saying there, we can, we, we can order something online, but, you know, online is kind of a lot of it's going to be click and collect. So you order something online, but you go down to your local store and you buy it. So I think that's kind of, if, if you take ASOS, for example, around um, the online fashion store, around 35% to 40% of what they actually sell is returned to them. Because, you know, uh, women especially who use the site will say, I like that dress, but I don't really know what it looked like on me. So I'll buy it in three colors and they pick one and then send the other two back. And this is a big issue for them. So I think click and collect um, where you buy something online, but collect it offline uh, will dramatically change. And whether those items are counted as online sales or offline sales is, is notional. And you may hit 35% if you do include the click and collect. But that can be very difficult for a, a, a modestly sized Irish retailer, if, if you like, which is all the kind of embedded costs that come with that yep. and none of the advantages that come with super large international global online retailers. But, but no, as Richard said there, you know, we've, we've got to embrace that. And we can't ignore that it's happening. So, and a lot of people are doing, as he said, um, their, their, um, their shopping or their internet experience online. 80% of the online, uh, every time you go online by 2020, it's going to be on a mobile device. So we're going to be doing it while we're traveling. We're going to have far more personalization in that you're going to get offers. You're going to have these iBeacons, which when you pass a store, that'll pop up and saying, you know, here's an offer for you. Uh, come in store and do it. Now, the other retailers, the smaller retailers, have got to embrace this. And that's going to have increased levels of uh, service, uh, better quality products, more experience, experiential shopping, as they would notionally call it, is that you go shopping, as Richard said, for the experience. You want to maybe have a coffee somewhere, enjoy your shopping experience. It's not this utilitarian shopping experience where I need a pair of shoes, so I go get a pair of shoes. That time is gone. But on the street, this is an economy which is in recovery after a devastating crash, many, many years of uh, very, very constrained demand. Uh, the sense I'm getting from both you, Richard, and you too, Damien, is that it's, it's proving difficult for Irish retailers and they're not really seeing the benefit of the turnaround. Richard? That would be consistent. What we're picking up from, um, and we'd represent businesses in retail, hospitality, hotels, etc. Uh, the hospitality side is doing extremely well, and we'd actually have restaurants saying they're doing better than they did in the height of the boom. Um, retail is, is up modestly, um, and that's we're picking that up fairly consistently. And, and I suppose, uh, and Damien mentioned it, I mean, one of the things that we do need to do is, is actually educate uh, a lot of smaller retailers that, you know, um, if they want to survive, if they want to prosper in particular, that they are going to have to embrace multi-channel sales and they are going to have to develop up mobile commerce. And we've we found even in terms of our own uh, internet sites that 70% of the traffic onto the mobile site onto the sites is through mobiles so they, they, there, there is a, there's an education process in this Sure Damien you, you mentioned uh, O'Connell Street uh, yeah. there's a big investment underway uh, pretty soon it's not long now um, the two Lewis lines will be connected and it will be possible for people uh, to go take the Lewis line from the south side of the city right up to O'Connell Street um, that you'd have to think would be good for O'Connell Street. They won't be people won't be able to shop in Clearies. But what, to your mind, what else needs to be done to improve the the the, the landscape, the shopping landscape on, on O'Connell Street? 
Um, if I just uh, bring this out into a slightly broader picture, is the way consumers are shopping nowadays is that it's destination shopping, and it's not the destination is not a particular store. The destination tends to be a particular area. So if we're going shopping, and I would know with my students, they'll say, I'm going to Dundrum this weekend, I'm going to Liffey Valley, I'm going to Blanchard Sound, or I'm going to the Henry Street area or the uh, Grafton Street area. So that's what they tend to do, and they tend to congregate in these areas or meet in these areas. Uh, and what's happening then is that we need to be able to develop those areas. Um, and then the other secondary and tertiary streets, um, they need to have a, a redevelopment. Now, what happened is, is that we're, it's not that we're, you know, during the 2000s, we were underdeveloped, right, with shopping. Uh, we didn't have uh, uh, sufficient shopping space. We had maybe 50,000 people of mainly uh, uh, Irish people returning, plus non-nationals coming to live in Ireland. And that's, uh, that's a huge amount of people every year coming back to live in Ireland. So we were underdeveloping in retail space. But what happened is when we became overdeveloped and when the recession hit is that we were, what I would say, under-demolished rather than overdeveloped, is that the old space didn't get knocked down or redeveloped into something else. People were... Uh, kept shops open because the, they, even though they weren't making money, the value of the premises was increasing by 10, 20, 30% uh, year on year. So we didn't change the retail uh, um, mix at the time in, in those secondary and, and uh, tertiary streets when the big shopping centres opened. Now getting back to O'Connell Street, um, uh, O'Connell Street was the main or the primary um, uh, retail area in Dublin for many years. Um, that's obviously gone down. Henry Street is an area Grafton Street scenario. Now with the Lewis coming through, is that we were able to join up and very easily get from uh, one area to the next. Now what I'd hope would happen, and is that uh, with the Lewis coming through, uh, if Cleary's then are opening up, as they say, a mall-type situation, and they have frontage onto Marlborough Street, so they can link Marlborough Street to O'Connell Street, and then people will come through that mall and use that kind of uh, O'Connell Street area and Henry Street area. And I think what the, the D24 private, when they um, regenerate this, hopefully it will be kind of a catalyst to kickstart the regeneration of O'Connell Street, because we've got all those iconic buildings, including the, the Gresham Hotel, um, the ambassador at the, the far end, the GPO, all of those are iconic buildings. And I, uh, I think something like what happened in Regent Street in the UK is that 25 years ago, Regent Street was a bit like O'Connell Street. It was a, <clears throat> a street with magnificent buildings in it, but nobody was shopping in it. So they got together and uh, a consortium, something similar to, to Richard's um, Dublin Town, is that they got together within the street and said, we need to redevelop this street. And they made the shops from department stores, brought them down into smaller stores and revitalized and regenerated the whole area. Richard, what's your view? I, I, Do you agree? What Damien said is spot on. Um, what you're finding is, and um, what we're finding is actually districts as opposed to the whole city centre. So as Damien said, we will find people who will head to the Henry Street area. And for us, um, we're, we're speaking to businesses exactly as um, as Damien outlined. In the, the O'Connell Street area, connecting O'Connell Street back into Henry Street, and it's actually, eight, we know that from surveys that 84% of people uh, will choose the destination based on the, the the range and the quality of the of the offering on that street, and it's 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 retail and hospitality. Um, in the terms of the the promotion of uh, O'Connell Street, it's reconnecting it into the minds of people with Henry Street, and I I think there's going to be I think there's a lot of scope for 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 uh, greater development. I think when the the Carlton development happens, it's going to be very significant. Yep. When the Lewis comes through, 
uh, there's going to be a greater connectivity to uh, from from the south side through onto uh, the north side there, and I think it's it's going to be very beneficial. And and to be honest with you, I'm quite optimistic. Um, and there's a lot of energy from a lot of the, the the major players in in the area to actually make this happen. Very good, Richard Guiney of Dublin Town. Thank you very much indeed. And Damien O'Reilly of the DIT School of Retail Services and Management. Thank you as well. At Irish Life, we can tell you that 49% of employees in Ireland don't think about tomorrow. They don't have a pension plan. We can help you help them. Because if you're involved in running your company's pension plan, we can administer it for you. With our member-specific investment solutions, online access for employers, trustees and members, and always-on smartphone apps. Just call one of our corporate team on 01704-1845. Visit irishlifecorporatebusiness.ie or contact your pension consultant to find out how we can help your company think of tomorrow. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information source for Irish Life September 2014. The Greek saga continues. There's still no sign of a deal between the country and its international creditors. Time is running out. There's a big meeting this week of Eurozone finance ministers. Talk of another emergency summit in Brussels. We haven't had one of those in a while. But the bottom line is that Greece seems to be heading towards a default and the questions about its membership of the Eurozone are as intensive as ever they were. I'm joined by Damien Makanulla in Athens and also by Suzanne Lynch, Irish Times correspondent in Brussels. Damien, what's the mood in Athens right now? The mood in Athens right now, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's quite bleak. Um, people are bracing themselves for a really rough ride ahead. Uh, they, they have been preparing for this um, over the past number of weeks and months, uh, in, in, in a very in a very direct way, by by voting, I suppose, with their with their bank cards, by going to ATMs and withdrawing uh, money uh, from their accounts just to have a stash of cash at home uh, in the event of the of the unthinkable of the of 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 a, of, of a default or of a Greek exit from the euro and uh, a possible reintroduction of 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 the of the drachma. Damien, so do we have people, queues outside of banks at this point? That's the thing. We don't have queues outside banks. A lot of the, a lot of the transactions are, are, are being done electronically. Money's been, has been sent abroad. Um, I was at an ATM yesterday. I didn't see any, any, any queues. I haven't, seen any, I, have, I haven't actually seen any queues as, as an ATM in the last few weeks. But the statistics do point to a rapid decrease in, in deposit levels uh, uh, over, 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 over the past few months. Uh, I saw something earlier on saying they're now down at uh, 2000, 2003 or 2004 levels. So uh, that's what people uh, seem to be doing. The people who have money in, in banks, that's what they are doing, uh, preparing themselves for, uh, for the potential, for, for the potential uh, uh, Greek exit. So the sense it, on it the street is yet. that... Nobody, it's not guaranteed that it is going to happen, but people just want to be safe. But the sense on the street is that there is going to be no deal, despite all of this uh, very intensive political and diplomatic activity that's underway right now. You know, various leaders are still saying that there is, there is still time for a deal. Uh, this morning, Alexis Tsipras, the Greek Prime Minister, had a visit from his Austrian counterpart, uh, Mr. Feynman, who actually, you know, uh, offered the series a leader uh, some much-needed uh, solidarity, or some, a rare, it was a rare example of solidarity uh, for the Greek government in the last uh, four or five uh, months from from European counterparts, he said that the um, 
that some of the measures being asked by the lenders are are excessive, and that you know the Greek people have already paid uh, uh, an awful lot in the last four or five years under the uh, existing bailout uh, programs. Uh, Alexis Sipra, speaking at a press conference, also said that he would be. He, he, he would be interested in, or prepared to accept an honourable com- compromise, that's how he put it, and he said if an, an honourable compromise could be reached, uh, his party and his government would take responsibility for ensuring that that would be accepted uh, by Parliament. He also said he wasn't going to seek a new mandate, so he seemed to be ruling out um, you know, um, uh, the idea of a referendum or, or, or uh, the idea of new elections. So... Um, it does seem bleak, but as some commentators here say, if you strip away the, if you strip away the rhetoric on both sides, and there has been a lot of uh, very harsh rhetoric uh, on both sides in Greece as well, that if you, if you do strip it away, you know, they say that you know, the Greek government has come an awful uh, long way from its pre-election pledges uh, in, in January 2015, earlier on this year, uh, to now in meeting uh, some of the demands of the lenders. Um, but it doesn't seem to be enough. Our, as, um, from where we're now speaking, it doesn't seem to be enough, but who knows what, what could happen in, in, in the next day or two. Suzanne Lynch in Brussels, uh, how, how do you see it from there? Yeah, I think the comment there by Damien is, is um, very insightful there, but when you strip away, away everything, um, really, you know, it, it could a deal could be done quite easily in a sense. Um, because today now in Brussels, uh, both of the senior EU commissioners uh, with responsibility for economic and monetary affairs, Pierre Moscovici and uh, the Latvian commissioner, Dombrovskis, have just been speaking here in Brussels. And uh, they have kind of calmed things slightly. They said, look, um, the commission hasn't been unreasonable. And Dombrovskis in particular said, you know, we are ready to discuss other measures if Greek uh, authorities want that um, on things like VAT reform on electricity. Um, Dombrovskis says that Juncker maintains that the commission has already suggested some changes. Um, for example, not pushing VAT on medicines, but they're waiting to hear back from that from the Greek government. So um, there is kind of an attempt to kind of calm things down here. And because we are in a situation that's getting extremely me worrying, worrying at less than two weeks of the IMF deadline, still time, but and um, there's now an increasing sense that Thursday's Eurogroup meeting um, won't be conclusive in a sense. The head of the Eurogroup, uh, Jerome Dieselbloom, said that uh, today, said that on Wednesday, that um, you know he doesn't, it's very slim, he thinks that um, a deal could be done. Um, now, the talk of maybe another uh, summit being held, uh, but again, there's definitely reluctance from member states to you know gather all uh, prime ministers together or Eurozone Prime Ministers together if there's not a specific deal on the table. Um, they will not, uh, you know, recall people if it, there's not seem to be a, a deal imminent. But um, we can rest assured that um, in Berlin and probably in Frankfurt, you know, the phones are going and one only hopes that there are some kind of background uh, negotiations going on all the time. So, Suzanne, I mean, the, the kind of emollient language to, to which you refer seems to be at variance with some of the more uh, tetchy exchanges we've seen in recent days. Quite extraordinary mm. comments from Jean-Claude Juncker, the president of the European Commission, who really had cast himself in, in recent weeks as a friend of Greece. Yes, absolutely. I think this has been one of the defining um, moments in the Greek crisis, even over the last five or six years, that this week we've seen a real public uh, exchange of views um, and an, a breakdown in relations between the Commission in particular and the Greek government. And we've seen recriminations on both sides. Um, and we've seen Juncker basically accusing uh, Sipras of misrepresenting him to the Greek public. And again, as Moscovici and Dabrowskis have just said here, they're saying that the Commission is ready to move on these small issues and are 
ready to give ground um, if if they can get back around the negotiation table. Um, so I mean, and I think it was it was quite an, you know t- time yesterday. Angela Merkel was asked uh, about the situation, and as usual, she was impeccably you know calm and said you know very little. Um, but you know, one would think that both herself and Draghi will maybe rein things in now because there's a sense that the heightened nerves when when in reality uh, there was. They were moving towards some kind of agreement. But I do think one of the developments today is worrying is, is this whole issue of the banks, as uh, Damien alluded to. Now, the ECB is due to review its emergency funding to Greek banks. And the Greek central bank has now come out and said it's very concerned that if a deal isn't done, um, they could be heading for Grexit. So um, that is a worrying development there. Uh, Damien, uh, what's the political situation in, in Athens right now? Because even if there is a deal... The question is going to be as to whether Mr. Tsipras, the Prime Minister, can actually get it through Parliament. Will Syriza, this radical left movement, elected with a huge mandate to seek debt write-downs and an end to austerity and the deposing of the Troika from Athens, will Syriza be in a mind to actually accept whatever compromise might be brokered? Well, that is a, that's, a, that's a key question. And, uh, you know, Syriza is a very broad church, about 30% of its membership uh, uh, belong to the left platform with, you know, on that left platform it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a wing within the party. They speak openly uh, in favour of a Greek exit, uh, in favour of returning to the drachma. Uh, their, their understanding of how an economy should work would be, would be uh, very much in the traditional uh, uh, left wing mould. So the question would be, how would that branch, how that wing of the party react to to a deal where where where, where many of their leaders have said that you know nothing short of of, of Syriza's uh, election platform is acceptable. About and Damien, 30, if, 30, if 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 it was the case that uh, Tsipras lost votes, which would mean that he wouldn't have a majority, is there any prospect or any discussion, indeed, that the other parties, the parties of the opposition now in Greece? might rein in behind the Prime Minister in the interest of a deal, to, to in the interest of the salvation of a deal which might keep the country in the euro? I think he could certainly expect uh, support. He, 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 uh, a centrist party, a new centrist party called Tapatami, which stands for the river, they have said that they, they, they've, they're very much in, in favour of signing a deal as quickly as possible with the lenders. They say too much ground has been lost already. Uh, they would back uh, the government, I, I think, if, if, if a deal uh, was arranged. I think he could also expect uh, support from PASOK and even from, uh, from New Democracy or, or some members of New Democracy. So I don't think it would be a problem uh, uh, in, in, in getting the deal through, but he would, he, he would be certainly uh, facing a, a, a split, possibly within his own party, but he could pick up uh, votes from, from many of the other parties in Parliament uh, to get the deal through. So that's not... That's not a, 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 a serious concern for him. Suzanne Lynch in Brussels, what we are discussing, of course, is the release of the final tranche, I think, uh, in the order of loans, in the order of some €7 billion Euro under the second Greek bailout. And these payments have been delayed since June of last year for the last 12 months. However, there isn't a person around who says that Greece is not going to need a third bailout because of all of the uh, the progress lost since the new government mm-hmm. came into power and people started to, to withhold tax payments and all the rest of it. So where are we on that front? 
Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a, a crucial point. We do have to remember that Greece was very, very close to exiting its bailout when the former Prime Minister called that election. Now, it probably would would have been some kind of a, of a programme or enhanced you know, credit line or something there for Greece, but it really was getting towards the end. And things have deteriorated rapidly since then, and now the growth projections for this year have already been slashed. And as we've heard, um, huge outflows from the banks. So we're looking at some kind of a, of a further rescue package for Greece. And as, as you say, you know, the difficulty will be how does Thrissa stand over this? You know, how does it continue to tell its, its square with its, its public, its electorate, um, that it's prepared to sign up to a deal that is going to involve some kinds of austerity measures, you know? So, and, and then, but and, the, and the other question is, Suzanne, is, are, are the European lenders of, of a mind to provide a, a further rescue package? True, exactly. I mean, that's another point. Jamin was talking about the domestic dynamics, political dynamics in Greece. Similarly, there are domestic political concerns to take into account all over Europe, most importantly, of course, in, in Germany. Now, we've seen a real sign of public opinion hardening. I mean, this Greece story is on the front of the newspapers in Germany. It's a huge matter of discussion. Um, we've seen Sigmar Gabriel, uh, the vice-chancellor, who had been seen as relatively uh, sympathetic to the Greek position. He came out last weekend very strongly saying that patience was running out for Greece. So again, how is Angela Merkel going to sell and going to present some kind of a further deal uh, for Greece um, to her public? Um, and I think it's not just Germany now. I think member states, particularly in the Eastern European countries, um, are resisting um, further debt concessions for Greece, particularly countries that say, you know, that have not only imposed their own austerity measures, but have low standards of living and low standards of wages and pensions themselves. And they are getting frustrated um, at any perceived leniency to Athens. Um, so it's going to be hard to sell that to a number of these Eurozone countries. Um, and not only the bailout countries uh, like Spain, Portugal, Ireland, but as I say, it's, it's kind of across the, the Eurozone. And Germany is being supported, really, by a lot more countries um, over the last few months as basically patience has run out uh, with the negotiating uh, tactics of, of the Greek government. And yet, in, in the backdrop, we have a, a strain in debate which would suggest that were Greece to actually leave the Eurozone, that the problems really would be would centre on Greece and that you wouldn't have such great problems elsewhere in the Eurozone. And notwithstanding mm. all of that, we have seen contagion in financial markets this week. The markets mm. are in a state of, we wouldn't say outright alarm, but uh, there's certainly mild alarm, you'd have to think. Yeah. I mean, the key thing, you're absolutely right in that the contagion threat is not as strong um, as it once was at the height of the crisis. Um, but no, the market volatility this week is worrying and people are going to be really keeping an eye on Friday's uh, movement on the markets. This is going to be key after this Euro group meeting in Luxembourg that's really been billed as kind of last chance saloon for Greece. Now suggestions the deal is, isn't going to be done. How are markets going to react to that uh, on Friday? That's going to be, be crucial. I mean, ultimately, um, Greece, as you know, only wor- worth about 1.8% of your own GDP. Um, and there is, you know, an argument that some some countries are prepared prepared to let it go and are prepared to maybe gamble that risk of contagion, which which you, as you explain, um, is there's signs of it again this week. But there is just in some countries just that resistance to to see any more ground. And yet, on the ground in Athens, Damien, it's fair to say that most Greeks would still prefer to retain the euro. 
this is the contradiction. I mean, certainly uh, in all the polls that, are, that have been conducted on, 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 on Greeks' attitude towards the euro, 78% say that they believe the country must stay in the common, common currency. There, so there is, no, there is no public appetite for a return to the drachma. That's something that, uh, that, that uh, Tsipras knows. Uh, he knows that, his, that the left wing in, within his party um, doesn't... Their support within the party is not reflected in, 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 in wider society uh, as regards the, the drachma. So uh, there is very high support still for the euro. There's still very high support for membership of the European Union. I mean, uh, the, the Bank of Greece today said a euro exit could also mean uh, Greece's exit from the European Union. So uh, any, uh, if there were elections, uh, if, if Syria was to lead, were to lead Greece out of the euro and the, and the, euro and the European Union, uh, the, the, the electors would, would take a very dim view of that. There is no, there is no popular support uh, f- uh, for that. Damien Makanola in Athens and Suzanne Lynch in Brussels, thank you very much to the two of you. There will be more of this story, I have no doubt. You've been listening to the Irish Times Business Podcast. I'm Arthur Beasley. Thanks for listening.